0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. In 2017, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported that there were just 72 black farmers in Iowa. That was 0.05 percent of the total 143, 447 producers the USDA counted in the state during that census. Nationwide, during the same period, the USDA stated that there were 45,508 black farmers, which was nearly 1.3 percent Of four million producers, but there was a time when Black Americans were not so underrepresented in the world of farming. In the early 1900s, there were more than 900,000 Black farmers in the United States who collectively owned 15 million acres of land. I learned all of this information from a series of articles written by Erin Jordan of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. For a little over a year, she's been introducing readers to Black farmers in Iowa and exploring the history of Black farmers in the United States. Later on in the hour, we'll meet six members of the Western family, a black family that has been farming in Iowa since the Civil War. And Aaron Jordan is with me now. Hello, Aaron. Hi, Charity. Thank you so much for being here. And take me back to the beginning of this series. I, I have a feeling that a lot of people hearing the numbers that I just quoted are surprised to learn these numbers. Um, what gave you the idea for doing a series exploring black farmers in Iowa?
2: Well, in in January, early in 2022, um, at the Gazette, we were talking about um, stories we wanted to explore during the year, and particularly looking at um, what's traditionally been Black History Month in February. And um, I have been covering a lot of agriculture and water quality topics in recent years. And I said, well, let's take a look at um, black farmers in Iowa. And, um, you know, that was the initial thought. And of course, it was um, way more than like a one-off story to be told in February. It, it was, a, we we discovered it was, it was a story we wanted to take on over the course of the whole year. And particularly because farming is not particularly visual in February. So we wanted to um, make sure we had an opportunity to, to see the growing season. <laughs>
1: to get out and get some pictures. Well, I I, you know, I grew up in Iowa and was aware that black farmers were not a particularly large portion of the agricultural population. I began to understand more a black farmer about black farmers in the United States through the 1619 project by Nicole Hannah Jones. And uh, As you did your research, I mean, you have also found that there is this rich history of black farming in the United States, which is not represented now. So tell me a little bit about what you
2: learned about the historical aspect. Yeah, I guess um, most of that was just talking with a historian about it. And just as the numbers that you uh, listed at the beginning of the show, um, you know, in the early 1900s, particularly in the South, there was a large number of black farmers. And and then through some of the land um, practices, loan um, prejudices, different things that happened over the decades, that land was either um, forced out of the hands of Black owners, um, cheated, people were cheated out of that land, and and, and it became just less common. And I, I, that was really, um, you know, shocking, and maybe it shouldn't have been um, to me. But to learn about that, I thought was, was very interesting. And then to kind of juxtapose it with the challenges that um, Black farmers um, still are facing today with some, with just different loan practices uh, for white farmers versus Black farmers, and and things like that. In a few minutes we're going to meet
1: a number of members of the Western family and the Western family is unique because they have been farming in Iowa since the Civil War. This is a, possibly the only heritage farm in the state of Iowa owned by a black family. It's hard to disprove that, but um Aaron, in, in starting to do your research to reach out to black farmers in Iowa, you've profiled a number of black farmers and par- farmers of color in the state. But discovering the Western family must have been a very special moment.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I remember talking with Mike Cook out of um, Black Hawk County, and he's um, um, a black farmer there and very just uh out in the community, does a lot of mentoring and other things like that. And um, and he said, he said, oh, well, have you talked with the Westerns? And, and I said, no. And then um, that was kind of the first introduction. And we were just talking before in the studio about um, our photographer, Nick Rollman, with the Gazette. He um, just really loved this project and spent so much time with the Westerns, Um, went and visited um, Todd up in Minneapolis, uh, hung out at one of his football games. So I I think it's just been amazing to, to connect with different people. And you meet one person and they suggest two other people to talk with. So it's kind of been a word of mouth type project. So with the Western family, we're going to explore their farming
1: operation and their family history and their future in a few minutes in depth. But you also have been looking for other farmers of color in Iowa. Tell me a little bit uh, about what you've discovered today, in the 2020s.
2: Yeah. I um, In one of our early stories, I met T.D. Holub, um, who is a young farmer. I believe he's in his 30s. Um, he and his wife um, own Garden Oasis Farms in Coggin. And um, they are doing some really great stuff with um, vegetables. And they initially were selling at farmer's markets, but then COVID hit and then they started doing more of the CSA model, which was better for them with a young family. So it's great to meet them. Um, as I mentioned, um, Mike Cook um, has is growing corn and soybeans and, and uh, vegetables up in Black Hawk County. He was very just great in terms of understanding the history of what he had dealt with over the last, uh, you know. 10, 20 years of farming. And then another farmer I met um, is Alfred Matiabo, um, who lives in Johnson County, and he is growing some traditional African vegetables at the poor farm in Johnson County, um, rents land there, and is, you know, uh, uh, just growing diff- different things like sweet potato and um, uh, pe- a lot of peppers. He's producing a hot sauce. So it was just it was just great to kind of tell these stories and have the opportunity to do that. With a growth in
1: horticultural crops in Iowa over the past couple of decades, really, does that seem to be an area that is opening up more opportunity for farmers of color in Iowa?
2: I think that is opening an opportunity for um, small producers of probably any demographic to get into. Uh, It's a way to um, be able to farm without having huge tracts of land. Um, you can, uh, you know, get higher profits for um, the the produce that you grow on a smaller smaller portion. If you go the farmers market route or CSA, um, organic produce can fetch a higher price. So I think it's a it's an opportunity for people who wanted to get into farming but don't have the cash resources to buy huge amounts of land. Right,
1: and we've explored this in a number of ways on this program. We know that it's a very very hard business. <laughs> no matter if you're able to to fetch higher prices for organic produce. It's a tough, tough business to break into and a tough business to really make a profit or even break even in Uh, frequently. When you were talking with the different farmers, um, can you tell me a little bit about how they feel about being a farmer of color in Iowa? Is that a position that feels vulnerable?
2: You know, I think when you ask that question, I think about Schaefer Ridgeway. Um, He uh, farms in Black Hawk County, but he's also um, a soil conservationist up in that part of the state. And he um, is not only practicing uh, farming, but he is kind of trying to translate all these complex federal agricultural laws and grant programs and different things like that to people who are new to the system. And I think sometimes he feels like that's a challenge is navigating the programs that the government has available uh, to provide financing or loans or or different things like that. Um, but, you know, in, in a way that makes it accessible to different groups. So I think that's a hurdle. Um, I, I think he gets frustrated by he and others have both mentioned to me just the frustration with the lack of representation on um, agricultural boards, both at the state and national levels. And, um, you know, I noticed when I did some reporting on that, there's also lack of female representation on these groups. And a growing number of women are making the farm decisions. I know you're going to talk with Barbara later, Barbara Western. So, you know, it's, um, I think that's one of the frustrations is not seeing these changes at that level.
1: And there has been uh, legislation in the past few years to try to even the playing field for farmers of color in the United States, but it hasn't been a clear and easy path. So did you get a lot of frustration from people as well?
2: You know, I think um, some of that was expressed, but others, you know, are, um, you know, just I think just wanting to do their own thing and not like make it a political statement, but like, hey, we just want to, we want to farm in Iowa. We, that's, it's part of our history. That's what we'll want to continue to do. We, we love being outdoors. I think about T.D. Holub. He's found a way to support his family um, with this farm in Coggin, you know, so it's less about, um you know, let's talk about the politics and and the the history and and you know, but but let's um, let's just kind of do what we're out there doing what we want to do. Well, there's plenty of work to be done. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But as you mentioned, you know, there was money that was included in the American Recovery um, Plan Act, um, some like $4 billion to pay off farm loans um, of farmers of color. And then there was a lawsuit that held that up and a an, uh, federal injunction. So I think that has provided frustration um, for some folks. Are there more stories that that you are hoping to tell about farmers of color in Iowa? Well, I was just talking um, with Todd and Chris and Barbara about um, their efforts to unite black farmers in the Midwest, in the upper Midwest, um, and I hope to be um, get a chance to come to, if they have a gathering, I, I hope to do more reporting on that. So
1: Aaron, you've done a lot of reporting, as you mentioned, about water quality and agriculture in the state. You've lived in Iowa most of your life, the, the majority of your life. Was this an area where you were surprised by how little you knew about this to begin with?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm, so I am I, constantly... Um, it, I, it, I'm constantly faced with the idea that I don't know enough about agriculture, even though I'm reporting on it. So I'm always trying to absorb as much as I can. But the idea of um, just the challenges faced by black farmers and other farmers of color um, historically and continuing today was definitely something I needed to learn more about.
1: Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your series, and thank you for talking with me today as well. Thank you, Charity. Aaron Jordan is a reporter for the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and you can read the articles in this series at thegazette.com. In a moment, we will meet the Western family, a Black family that has been farming in Iowa since the Civil War. We're going to talk to multiple generations of the Western family and learn about their family history, their farming operation today, and look into the future as well. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR
0: News. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Support for IPR comes from Patrick Furry Law, a business law firm offering technology agreements, intellectual property law, privacy law, and more. Proudly supporting quality local journalism online at Patrickfurrylaw.com.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we've been talking about black farmers in Iowa, and now we are going to meet the Westerns, one of the families profiled by Aaron Jordan in the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Thomas Western bought the family farm in Mahaska County during the Civil War. The Westerns still own that farm, making it one of only about 1,700 heritage farms in Iowa. A heritage farm is one that's been owned by just one family for 150 years or more. And according to Jordan's reporting, the Western farm is likely the only heritage farm owned by a Black family in Iowa. In a few minutes, three members of the Western family will be in the studio with me, but we're going to start on the phone with Charlene Montgomery. She is the great granddaughter of Thomas Western and grew up on the family farm. She lives in Waterloo, Iowa, and she became a teacher and taught in Waterloo for many years. Hello, Charlene. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Well,
3: appreciate your asking.
1: Let's go back in time to when you were a little girl living on the family farm. It was near New Sharon. What are some of your memories about living on that farm as a child?
3: Living on that farm as a child, one of my first uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is appreciation of nature and outdoors and loving the apple orchard and the pine trees, um, but right behind that comes the, uh, uh, all the fun I had with my siblings, a little conflict too, now and <laughs> <Sure>. then typically, <laughs> and uh, uh, school comes to mind, uh, the country school.
1: And you started out in a one-room schoolhouse?
3: Yes, the the uh, kind you see. Uh, my grand, my daughter used to say, do, "Was that little house on the prairie days?" And said <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it was like that. It was a, a wood frame uh, uh, country school uh, with um, uh, a handful of students, one teacher, outstanding teacher that got me started.
1: Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Did you do a lot of work on the farm as a
3: child? Uh, I don't remember not working, but mm-hmm. I don't know what age we actually were given—you uh, know—assignments to do things. We we always uh, helped mom in the house with uh, with uh, uh, with the cooking, um, and then we I think we pretty much started out with uh, helping with in the summertime with gardening, and. Uh, with mom. Mom had uh, laying hands and uh, and picking up the eggs from the chickens, which we never enjoyed doing. <laughs> and um, then that led, as we got a little older, into uh, uh, feeding, slopping the hogs and milking cows.
1: So as you were growing up, going to that country school and later on uh, going to a bigger school, you, being an African-American family, working on a farm in Mahaska County, were you the only or one of the only Black students in that school with your siblings?
3: Our family, our, our, there were four of us, and we were the only African-American students as, from throughout uh, the whole time, kindergarten through 12.
1: Was that something that you thought about as a child?
3: Didn't think about it until probably middle school, junior high time um, It's probably, you know, when the socialization stuff uh, begins. Uh, that's probably, uh, but but all of this time we did attend church. Uh, we had an African Methodist Episcopal Church in and, and Oskaloosa, and also there was a, an African American Baptist Church my parents were always AME and we attended there. There were only two or three other um, children or teenagers uh, because by that time, the African-American population in the Oskaloosa area had totally declined because the coal mines closed. Mm. Did
1: that feel isolating to you as a, a teenager?
3: Yes and no, because um, when you don't know different, then you don't, uh, um, and back then we didn't have social media and all to remind us. However, I remember when we did get television, if we would see an African-American person on TV, we would yell to the rest of the family to come. Wow. <laughs> um so um, yes, there 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 was uh, there there was that sense of that sense of isolation, and I always wanted us to have more um, friends like ourselves.
1: Your first teaching job was in Warren County. When you started looking for work as a teacher, that's a point in your life where you felt that you did experience racial discrimination. Can you tell me more about that? Um,
3: During high school, we would get hear comments and things would happen. But uh, as I have said to uh, others, acceptance was quite good because we weren't threatening. Um, And generally speaking, in my experience, whites feel threatened when there are too many of us. And because we didn't appear to be multiplying (laughs) significantly, there was an acceptance. And because my dad and mom had the status in the community that they did, when we would uh, go to other towns to play basketball, we would hear comments and uh, uh, things uh, would happen. And something I didn't share before when, Uh, I was probably junior high, our mother got hit by a car as she was crossing the street. The uh, driver was intoxicated, had previous arrests. My dad took him to court because um, mom had to be hospitalized. Big medical bills, Mm -hmm. big, big medical bills. And. all my family all my dad got from his lawsuit was more lawyer bills and of course still had medical bills so that that hit home with us of the systemic racism that was actually enforced that we didn't really weren't aware of until the circumstances uh, hit us in the face. Huh?
1: Oh wow. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that as a family. That must have been so difficult. And that
3: really that really affected our lives because of the, the financially. Yeah. You know, up till then we seemed to be doing pretty, you know, pretty decently. You
1: eventually made yourself or made your way to Waterloo, Iowa to teach. And of course, Waterloo, as we know, is one of the communities in Iowa that does and has always had a larger African-American community. Was that something you were seeking?
3: Absolutely. Um, absolutely, but it was due to, uh, again, a basketball coach and friend, his wife. Uh, we became dear friends from Warren County, and uh, they were moving to Traer and encouraged me to come to to apply at Waterloo, but Waterloo was attractive to me because I yearned for uh, a social life uh, that um, included African-American people.
1: I want to ask you, I've mentioned that this you had a, a wonderful long career as a teacher. You retired in 1998. But I do want to ask you about your family farm, because this farm that you grew up on is still owned by the Western family. How does
3: that make you feel? Um, I've always been proud to be a Western. And as we were growing up, we were proud of ourselves and proud of our mom and dad and and. Um, that, um, and, and that we were pretty well known, uh, you know, uh, people. And um, uh, I'm happy that the farm is still in the Western family name. Yes, that makes me feel proud. And I'm proud of, of um, my nephews for, especially for all the work they're doing to maintain.
1: Charlene, thank you so much for talking with me.
3: You are so welcome. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: Charlene Montgomery grew up on the Western Family Farm in Mahaska County. Her brother, Todd Western II, took over the farming operation from his father. After his death, his wife, Barbara Western, stepped into the leadership role, and her sons helped work the farm, including Todd Western III. And uh, Barbara Western and Todd Western III are both with me now. Hello, Barbara. Hello,
4: hello. How are you today?
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. And Todd, welcome.
5: Hello. How are you?
1: Uh, Great. And uh, Barbara, I would love to ask you, you are a classically trained musician. And so farming was not probably something that that you intended to pursue (laughs) in your lifetime. Um, And your husband was unfortunately lost far, far too early. Tell me about that decision of yours to take over the farm to become the leader.
4: Well my husband loved farming he loved farming and when he came to Waterloo and became a supervisor at John Deere he wanted to keep his hands in the dirt so we uh, time went on and we bought thirty five acres up in waterloo and uh, I became the person to go out with him and hold the night light while while he fixed this and that and I I I would often think I grew up in Chicago with. (laughs) I thought here I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there were just moments where you shook your head and thought, "How did I get here?"
4: Yeah, but but when I first came to Iowa to University of Northern Iowa, I uh, um, Anderson and Erickson owned the field where the where the field houses are now. It's just nothing but cows. And I remember calling my mother in excitement, Mom, there's all these cows out in the field, you know. Oh, wow. No, but I loved my husband, and he was so dedicated and loved, loved farming. And many a times before his dad, after his dad died, we'd drive down to New Sharon, mm-hmm. which is almost two hours, and he'd farm there, and we'd get back in the morning, like 3 in the morning, and he'd go to work. Wow. <laughs> but then we, he started to lease it out. And I just respected his love for the farm and wanted to keep it going, and uh, and that's how I started um, um, investigating, researching, and when Todd died down in New Sharon, uh, the people in the uh, farmers' offices, farm, farm associating offices, they were so nice, and they, they helped me find programs. and and how to keep track of things and blah blah blah.
1: Yeah, which of course farming is a really complicated business. I think people who don't work in agriculture don't really understand that they think what you plant, you harvest, you sell. What's what's complicated about oh, that? There's
4: a lot. There's, that goes with it. There is a whole lot
1: yes. that goes into it. And and Todd Western the 3rd is is also here and Todd uh, I'm A story that we will learn again and again as I talk to you and the other members of your family is that pretty much everybody involved in the Western Family Farms has another job as well. This is also a common story in Iowa where to be a farmer, you have to have another job to support your farming habit. But uh, Todd, can you tell me a little bit about the operation as it is today?
5: Well, as it, as it is today, Is different than it was last year, the different it was five years ago. As my mom alluded to uh, when we took it over, uh, it's important to remember that when my father passed away in 2008, my brother Chris and I and Adam looked at each other in probably September and said, holy crap, there's still a field. There's still a crop that we need to get out of the field because we were so busy mourning my yeah, father's death sure. that we had to realize, suddenly realized. So for the next five years, it was just basically an autopilot. And fortunately, my brother Chris um, – paid attention to everything that my dad did as far as fixing things. So without Chris, we wouldn't have been able to do a lot of it because he was responsible for fixing things. And so I'm more on the business side, my brother remembers the business side and fixing. So for the first 5 years we was on auto we were on autopilot and then from there once we started getting our feet under ourselves my mom, uh, as we affectionately call the CEO, she then began to uh, look at the future. And so she worked with Iowa State Extension Office, who were very gracious to her, uh, Schaefer Ridgeway in, in RCS. And my mom looked at the future of what programming looks like, what the different uh, programs are out there. And so so for the five years after that, then we became involved in all these different programs and, and being able to do crop, you know, assistant programs, things of that nature. And so so when you ask how is it different, it it changes every year because she's constantly uh, working with different individuals to figure out different programs, how to be. The main thing is to be better stewards to the land, be more efficient and come up with better pro, uh, processes and procedures.
1: Well, and and Barbara, as you mentioned, uh, the Mahaska County farm, the the one that was purchased during the Civil War, that farm is being rented out. That land is being rented out. And uh, before I talk to your your sons and and grandson here in just a moment, I, I want to ask you. I can imagine that there have been moments. In, in the past, where selling that farm may have seemed like the smartest decision, why has it been important to hold on to it?
4: Never, never did it enter. Never Really? Because being black and coming from Chicago, um, we moved from Chicago to Maywood, Illinois, after my family worked hard and gathered all their money. We, re- we, we respected growth, education, and to be part of society. So there was no way that thought of selling land would ever, ever enter my mind. It was to keep it going, keep it going. And uh, as I was driving down there, interviewing people to lease the farm, I thought, where is my husband? I don't mm. know what I'm doing. But I, I learned again from nice people who helped me and and learned uh, how to lease, and who to look for, what to say, but no, never, ever did we want to sell that land down there. You must be
1: so proud of oh, that I farm am. and oh, of yes. your boys who oh, are yes. carrying on this legacy. Yes,
4: they are. They've really stepped forward and kept it, the 35 acres here in Waterloo going. And, and um, yeah, we're very, very helpful. So uh,
1: I can imagine, again, that there have been... Many times that people have, have talked to your family and thought, what, your farmers? There are black farmers in Iowa. What do you want Iowans to know about the Western family?
4: Well, they, they already know about the Western family. I taught for years, and I still have guys that come up to me, oh, Miss Western, and they kiss me on the cheek. My husband is well-known being a supervisor at John Deere when he died you couldn't get all the people in the church but as a far, as farmers not until now and the articles in the paper do they know then to add that to the list of why their interest would be interested in the westerns That's
1: A pretty but, in, incredible family legacy yeah, I and mean, all
4: the boys have done well after graduating from college they've just done well and my husband was very proud of them all
1: Barbara, thank you so much for talking with me. Mm
4: -hmm. Thank you,
1: Barbara Western. I'm going to spend more time with Todd Western the third, and we'll meet Todd Western the fourth and Christopher Western in just a moment as we talk about the Western family farms. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: Support for IPR comes from Patrick Free Law, a business law firm offering technology agreements, intellectual property law, privacy law, and more proudly supporting quality local journalism online at patrickfurelaw.com
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about black farmers in Iowa, and I am visiting right now with an extraordinary family, the Western family. Their family farm in Mahaska County has been in their family since the Civil War, and this is possibly the only heritage farm in Iowa. That means a farm that's owned by the same family for more than 150 years, possibly the only heritage family farm owned by a black family in Iowa. And there are a lot of stories to be told about this farm and this farming operation. With me is Todd Western III. He farms in addition to his work as Senior Donor Advisor for Greater Twin Cities United Way. And joining the conversation now, Chris Western, who lives in Cedar Falls and works in the farming operation. Hello, Chris.
6: Hello. How are you?
1: Good. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. And also with us, Todd Western IV. fourth. <laughs> Todd, welcome.
7: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: All right. I'm sure there's a little Todd confusion occasionally in your family, but yes. <laughs> we'll try to keep that straight. So, uh, Chris, I was just talking to your brother about the the operation as it is now. Tell me about your role in the farming operation.
6: Well, like my brother Todd stated earlier, um, you know, I, I really cherished the things that I was learning from my father growing up. And I remembered a lot of, of what he taught me as far as um, how to fix things and how to figure things out. And, you know, it, it's, and it's, it's been wonderful to have learned that because now it truly is there's, there's no problem that can't be solved. You know, it might take a little time, step back uh, and, think, and think about it and remember, like to this day, um, I can literally, when something happens, I can remember when it happened before. It could have been 20, 30 years ago, and I can tell you exactly what part of the field that happened and how we fixed it. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> uncanny, actually. <laughs> so, and,
1: and when you were growing up as a family of farmers, you were pretty proud of having that kind of knowledge. That was something that, that was important to you even as a kid. Absolutely. Tell me more about that. I know that that you like to share the knowledge with your classmates on occasion.
6: Yeah. um, We went to, I don't know what grade, but we were really young. We were on a charter bus going to the state capitol to see Shirley Chisholm. Um, She was, uh, uh, I forget what uh, her position was, but we went to go see her.
1: An extraordinary woman.
6: Yeah, extraordinary woman. And... um, so as we were, it was springtime, and as we were going down the highway, there's all kinds of tractors in the field. And some of the kids were trying to identify the tractors, and um, I knew them all, but I tried to be humble about it. But when they got them wrong, I had to correct them. Uh, Oliver is green and white. But John Deere is green and yellow. <laughs> that is oliver that is not a john deere don't get him confused
1: <laughs> i can imagine there are a lot of a lot of people who grew up on farms in iowa who are nodding their head right now yes this is sacred information mm-hmm. <laughs> that Absolutely. must be shared <laughs> so i i know that that your father passed away young and, and unexpectedly mm-hmm. chris was there a question for you as to whether or not you would carry on as part of the farm
6: Oh uh, no uh, initially no um, Initially, I, you know, it took it like Todd said earlier. It took us, I remember returning to work after the funeral, and I was sitting at my desk, and it hit me, oh my goodness, we have a crop to take in. We've never done it by ourselves before. So I actually uh, drove to the field and sat in the driveway, and I just kind of talked to my dad and said, hey, we're going to need your help. You know, we've never done this by ourselves before. And, uh, but uh, we'll get it done. Wow. Yeah.
1: And Todd and Chris, I mean, I know that your your father worked at John Deere and had this farming operation on the side. Todd, tell me what that was like when you were growing up. I mean, he, he must have been working all the time if he was both a supervisor at John Deere and farming.
5: Yeah, so that's the ingredients and uh, in the secret sauce of why we kept the farming going, because we grew up where... If you weren't doing five or six things, then you weren't really working, right? Oh, man. And so just to give a perspective, uh, you know, my father was the first black supervisor in John Deere in 1968. My mom was the first uh, scholarship metropolitan opera singer in New York, in addition <clears throat> to them doing their jobs and raising three children. And during that time, when after 1974, when my grandfather passed, they were raising a family, farming their 40 acres. My mom was teaching and singing on the side. Um, and we're doing the farming, and while that was happening, my father was training for Chicago marathons. He did thirteen in a row, oh uh, leading up to his death in two thousand eight. And so, that is important to contextualize of how we got to this point. There is no, there is no big feat. There is no, it's only. Cha- it's, there's no problems. It's only challenges with a solution, and so that's why
1: drive and an incredible yeah, work ethic. Yeah.
5: So my both my parents were pioneers uh, in the in their own respect. And so, um, and like Charlene alluded to before, their family was pioneers as well. And so, therefore, you just, you have that in you. And so there is, you just do. You, like my mom always says, you have to produce. No matter what, you have to produce. And so, um, so knowing, you know, the, the, the stories that we hear from Charlene and their sisters about the, how uh, valuable their family was in community, how well they respected, that only boosts us to keep continuing. And then what we learned from our parents as well.
1: Were there times when you questioned why your dad continued farming, considering that he did have this job at, at John Deere? He didn't have to farm.
5: Yeah, but when you're a farmer, is it's in your blood. Like you just do it. Like you don't until somebody asks that question. You're like eh, you're right. I could have saved myself from being out in the hot sun and dirty and and oily. But you, when you grow up as a as a farmer, you just do it, and there's no second guessing. <laughs>
1: So I want to bring um, Todd Western IV into the conversation. Hello, Todd. Hello. And the Western Family Farms are are continuing to change every year and expand. And uh, Todd, I know that that one of your big initiatives that you're involved in is called Freedom Farms in Minnesota. Tell me about Freedom Farms.
7: Yeah, so Freedom Farms really started out of kind of the pandemic, um, <clears throat> much like them, you know, I grew up always visiting the farm, uh, the larger farm and, you know, just kind of messing around on a four-wheeler or <clears throat> being able to learn how to shoot a gun and all those types of different things. Um, and so I never really um, took had a serious role growing up in it, but, but it was always something that was just kind of there for me. Um, and when the the pandemic hit... I had a lot of time, as most of us did at home, to either learn about something new or or find a new skill. And, and I really wanted to help my community um, in ways that I could. And so, you know, Minneapolis is a, a very large food desert. Um, and, and one of the kind of things that really stuck out to me as an unnecessary problem we deal with is, you know, all of the health uh, problems that we face, particularly in the black community in North Minneapolis where I live. Um, you know, a lot of that can be solved by better eating, better food. Um, And then also I just, after researching, you know, how blacks and farming and the whole history of that has kind of evolved um, involuntarily, I just um, wanted to try to get black people back towards uh, the land.
1: So tell me about what you have been able to accomplish. I know you've got dreams for the future, but what are Freedom Farms like right now?
7: yeah so right now I primarily am growing microgreens uh, and so that ranges a, a variety of different types uh, you know anything from broccoli kale radish things like that um, and just more so educating friends and family at first and people around me um, on just uh, healthier ways and <clears throat> and ways to get your nutrition um, and then I'm also planting outdoor produce as well peppers vegetables um, and things like that and so the, the hope is to um, kind of sprout a bunch of freedom farms, if you will, around. I don't want to be the only one. My goal is to that everyone has the freedom to take what I've learned and take what I've done um, and do it in your own backyard, do it in your own uh, neighborhood, um, because uh, at the end of the day, we all need to win um, collectively. And so I just want to flood the food desert with as much kind of fresh uh, produce, fresh greens, things like that as I possibly can.
1: Uh, Of course, access to land is a huge barrier to entry for so many people. Um, Tell me about the land that you farm on.
7: Yeah. So right now it's currently out of my house in North Minneapolis, uh, the backyard, as well as a grow space for indoor growing. Um, And so that has been another challenge as well, just trying to get uh, the city to lease vacant lots that have been vacant for five plus years. But, you know, they're kind of holding on, if you will, for, for development. And so um, even just being able to lease one of those for a summer or something would would largely increase the amount of, of fresh produce we could put in the community. Um, so right now I'm just trying to work through all of those kind of loopholes and, and find out how to get more space, but it is a barrier for sure.
1: So, in in thinking about the the Western Family Farms big picture, you have the farm in Mahaska County that that is being rented out. You have 35 acres in Waterloo, and and Chris, are you the the primary farmer on those 35 acres?
6: Yeah, I would say so. Um, like Todd alluded to earlier, I just just have a knack for fixing things and. And I want to say, too, I, I'm, I'm really thankful for my mother and, and Todd for stepping up and getting more involved in the business side of things because I have a tendency to focus, have a narrow focus on keeping things running. <laughs> 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 and so I'm so thankful for those two.
1: Absolutely. So as, as- – Things are evolving with uh, Todd's plans in Minnesota and Todd the Third. <laughs> tell, me, tell me what you have as a vision for Western Family Farms for the future.
5: Well, the, the first thing is um, – the, the first vision as the hot topic today is regenerative farming. And regenerative farming is just being a good steward to the land. And so you, you can't make more land, so, which is another reason why we're not selling our, our farm. But, but now you have to be a good steward of the land. And in order to be a good steward of land, you have to know about the program. So that's why we've got into cover crops and no-till and making sure we're good to the environment. And then while we're being good to the environment, that's why Todd fourth comes in and he helps out with where he's at. Because me working at, at United Way in Minneapolis, I have access to different programs and information accesses to, to help farmers like my son, uh, continue his operation and going to the next level. So the, the, the big picture is is to just take the land we have now and improve it, improve the processes, the procedures, being a good steward, and then helping my son go on to the next level. Because in Minneapolis, you know, one, one in eight uh, residents are food insecure in Minneapolis. So if you think about that, one in eight are food insecure. And so that's why The work of my son is going to be extremely important. The work that we're doing is going to be extremely important. And the other big picture that we're trying to do is we're going to try to create awareness for farmers in general and black farmers.
1: You were talking earlier about your mom digging into the research and, and helping figure out what kind of programs you could take advantage of, how to keep this business going after your father died. It sounds like you are carrying on that part of the legacy and, and understanding the system is such an important part of this mission.
5: Yes. Yes, it is. Um, you know, and that's why when you say we, we lease it out, we, uh, we, have a, we have a good tenant and Justin Stout. who's uh, who's become a family friend, and he's also trying to be a good steward of the land as well. So we work in partnership with him, and we work in partnership with the Iowa State Extension Office to make sure that, because my mom and myself are down there a lot working with Justin on different ways to improve the ground, different ways to improve the contour of the ground, uh, fixing waterways. So even though we lease it out, we're, we're down there a lot working with Justin on, and making sure that the land is, is kept up to par.
1: Now, talking with Charlene earlier, um, it's clear that there have been some really hard moments uh, in addition to the loss of your father, but um, some really hard times. There have been uh, episodes of, of racism that have stood in the way of your family. There have just been challenges, a lot of challenges. Every farming family has challenges. I think you guys have had more than your share over the years. Um, to to people who may have felt locked out of farming and want to be a part of this world, what would you say to them, Chris? What do you want people to know?
6: Well, first of all, I mean, as, as a people, we've been farming for centuries. And the notion that black people don't farm, um, we've, we've, got to, we've got to get that out of our head, because what do you think we've done for 400 years and You wouldn't be and here. And right. <laughs> And so, and, and we had that growing up as, as kids. We have to remind uh, kids, you know, that, you know, yes, we do farm. It's just we've lost, and Todd alluded to that earlier, you know, we've just, over through racism, we've lost our lands. We've been forced out either financially or just plain having the land taken. And so that's why the younger generation just does not have that connection that, oh, I could be a farmer. I think it's starting to come back now with, the like, uh, uh, my nephew here, Todd, um, that doing gardens and that's farming. And that's one thing, too, you – and I think I was guilty of it as a younger person that uh, – Farming had to be this big grandiose thing, large tractors, large tracts of land. No, his backyard is a farm. And that's, and I think we all need to really start understanding
1: that. It's kind of a revolutionary idea, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, And Todd, the fourth, I'll ask you first, just briefly. I mean, this is obviously an incredible source of pride for your family. What does it mean to you to have this legacy?
7: It means everything. Um, it's a lot of pressure, um, but it's it's good pressure. Like we said, like we're a family that believes in just constant motion and, and constantly trying to take things and leave it better for the next. Um, I have a son and daughter, uh, Hadley's 11 and T5, as we call him, is Todd the Fifth. Um, he is uh, almost 10 months now. And so, you know, I want them to be able to uh, carry on the next, you know, 50 years, 60 years after we're gone and, and make this something that um, is around for a long time, so it, it means the world to me. And then also just the black rep- representation within farming, I think, is, is vitally important.
1: I'm I'm sure your example is really inspiring a lot of people in your neighborhood and in the Twin Cities and elsewhere as well. Thank you, uh, Todd the Third. You get the final word here. Let's let's talk about the importance of this legacy. What does it mean?
5: Uh, it means that we honor our ancestors because you if you think about it, in 1864, Black family owns. By 1886, they owned 160 acres in the middle of nowhere. That's, that's, every time I look at it, I can't believe they survived this, but they did. Yeah. And, and that's, and like my mama said, we had angels around us, we had good people around us, but um, it's, that's what it means. And the other thing too is that we have to carry it on. And so because of that, I just want other farmers to know and other black farmers to know that we are creating a BIPOC farmers uh, collective. And so myself and Schaefer Ridgeway are putting that together. And we're going to be having a meeting uh, next month. So if you would like to be part of uh, the Black Farmers uh, Meetup, uh, please reach out to me. And uh, we're going to have an in-person meeting in September, but we're going to have some meetings prior to there. And so I would encourage all black farmers to reach out to me.
1: All right. And I hope uh, hope we can stay in touch. I would Absolutely. love to share more of your stories in the future. Todd Western III, thank you. Yes. Todd Western the fourth. thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And Chris Western, thank you so much. Glad to be here. We've been talking about Western Family Farms. They are a heritage farm in Mahaska County, in addition to other farming operations in Iowa and Minnesota. You can find out more at westernfamilyfarms.com. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.